This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast here in Coronaville. <laughs> we are... <laughs> We are quarantining away out here in Zurich. Danielle's in Zurich. I'm in Georgia. And we're quarantining. We're doing good. We're quarantining from each other. We have. We've shifted our our workshops, have gone online, and everything's going well. Everything's doing good. And we're still teaching how to manage your portfolio if you're going to be an investor. And by we, you mean you. I'm not teaching how to manage a portfolio. Okay, true. <laughs> <laughs> But I am writing about my investing practice on my newsletter. And actually this month I'm putting it out free for everybody because of all the craziness. So if you want it, you can go to daniellettown.com. And it's super important to be studying the best investors in the world right now. I mean, you're looking at, honestly, I really truly believe this, you guys, and you can call me on it two years from now if I'm wrong, but I believe the next 24 months will be the investing opportunity of your lifetime. You okay. will not see a better one. Now, we're going to talk about Amazon, I promise, but yes. tell me why you think the next 24 months are going to be the best opportunity, because a lot of people think the opportunity has come and gone. Well, they may be right. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll tell you what I'm seeing is that um, we have unemployment pushing to almost 20% in America. Yeah. We have enormous uh, change in GDP downward. Yeah. And the impact on service companies around the country is enormous. And you know that <clears throat> this economy, our GDP is 70% consumerism. We don't have, you know, a huge industrial base anymore. And um, nobody's buying cars. Nobody's, well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe people are buying cars, but not nearly at the level of, nothing's being sold at the level of anything else except groceries and stuff mm. you buy on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we're going to talk about Amazon. Yes. But other than that, there's a, well, Ray Dalio calls it we're, that we're in a depression. Um, it just isn't recognized as such by the cheerleaders who are running the government. And you can't fault them. They're supposed to do that. Right. But uh, Ray Dalio is just tell right. the truth, you know, the hard yeah. truth and nothing like, but the truth. I like the tell the truth guys. Yeah. But if you were, if, well, you know what, maybe it's the best thing in the world for politicians to tell the truth. You think of Winston Churchill in world war two saying, I have nothing to offer you, but blood and, and tears and you know, blah, 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 mm -hmm. whatever that was. That was a great speech. And people were like, yeah, let's yeah. go get him. I mean, so, there's a reason that Andrew Cuomo has gone from being like pretty much totally hated to like the hero that we need these days. I know. And, and Merkel <laughs> did the same thing and was, and now her approval ratings in Germany are at 80%. Yeah. 80% for She's a German politician. That's insane. And what she do? She got on there and said, get ready for some real serious she problems. Said things are going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we got the opposite going on in the country every other day. I mean, Trump is all so, over the map. Without getting into politics, you think the next two years roughly are... You, basically, what you're saying is you don't think the market has 
reflected I think the situation. Right. <laughs> I think we're in for a really tough time, and I think you should buckle your seatbelt. Um, and as an investor, what you should be doing is reading, 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 so that you pick a few companies, put them on your list. You do not want to diversify your portfolio in an environment like this. You're going to get hammered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be thinking, this is 1932. This is 1930. We're, we're on our way down. We're not down. We're on our way down. And uh, both in terms of the economic condition of the country and the stock market. Um, and this, is, this isn't my view uh, on my own. This is Ray Dalio's view after studying. And if you don't know Ray, we've talked about him here a lot. And he's the best macro investor in the world. I think if you're going to listen to somebody about what's going to happen out there, he might as well be him. And so he's basically saying, buckle your seatbelt and get ready to buy some gold. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be rough out there. So I think, and, and basically what that means is that you're looking at an opportunity to buy the best companies in the world massively on sale here coming up over the next two years as investors start to realize, oh, We've had the peak. It's over. The growth rate in my stock portfolio is no longer, I'm not looking anymore at, you know, dividends of 4% and, and growth rate of 5% and, and ending up a lot better than my 0% bonds. And people are going to wake up and go, holy smokes, the stock market is going to deliver a negative return over the next five years. It appears it's certainly not going to go up. My dividends have been cut in all these companies. I'm not getting dividends anymore. My money's not safe. Inflation's on the horizon. So sitting here doing nothing isn't going to work either. And I need to do something else. And what people need to do is to learn to be an investor. You're going to have to start taking responsibility for your money instead of just hoping you can put it out there across a thousand things and everything's going to work out fine. Those days are behind us. It's not likely to work out fine right now. The Schiller PE well, indicates it's actually liking, likely to work out to very low single digits to negative rates of return over the next 20 years in the S&P 500. So, I, I, you know, we're looking for an entire reset of the stock market, guys. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, the, the, the thing that's sometimes called the Buffett indicator is the Wilshire GDP ratio put out by the Federal Reserve in St. Louis, which peaked yes. at 175% last, you know, two months ago. Um and its historical average is about 80%. In other words, the stock market is typically priced at about 80% of GDP. Well, we've been at double that, more than double that. And so if the only thing that happened is that GDP stayed exactly where it is right now, didn't move, which isn't going to happen. If GDP stayed good, the stock market realistically should drop by 50%. If it wasn't just emotionally driven and, and driven by cheap, uh, inter- by low interest rates. But we're not going to have GDP stay where it was, it's going down. Yeah, it is down already. Yeah, it is down. And I think you're going to get a triple whammy, Danielle. I think you're going to see the stock market reset the ratio of the price in the stock market to GDP back to historical norms, which means cut the price in half if GDP stays where it is. Mm -hmm. The Dow goes from 15 to 30,000 to 15,000 GDP stays where it is, but that's not going to happen. GDP is going to be down. Let's say it's down 20%. Well, you just knocked the stock market down another 3,000 points to 12,000, right? And then third, you've got an enormous percentage of the stock market is in index funds, which don't even try to discover price, which means that as they start going down, they have to sell those companies, even the good ones. 
are going to get sold off. There's no price discovery in indexes. And all these people who have indexes are going to freak as those things start coming down and they're going to the sell orders are going to come flying in. I mean, this is one scenario. It doesn't have to be the only scenario, but it is a likely scenario. And if you don't know what to do right now, with the stock market creeping back up toward its previous monster, ridiculous highs, you might want to seriously consider getting in cash and learning to be an investor. Because you guys, if you pick a few companies and you pick good ones, 10 years from now, instead of having you know, a 0% return in inflation chewing you up from there, which is entirely possible, you would have potentially, you know, a thousand percent return from great companies. This is exactly when Ben Graham, who founded this style of investing, started investing. This is when he wrote the book about it, Security Analysis. So let's talk about why, just I'm quickly again. I'm I, on exactly. A rant. And it's, I'm on a rant. it's, I, I love it. Half of me loves it. Half of me wants to Argue. avoid the like, <laughs> no, not at all. Half, not at all. I don't like to do it. Just kidding. <laughs> Half of me wants to find out why you think this is different. I mean, everything you just said could have been said four months ago and frankly was being said four months ago. And there's no like, it just, I don't know, to just sort of announce that like the market will go back to norms. It may not. What, what if, what, I, I don't know. Why do you think that? Just because I mean, GDP no is going to go down. Pandemic going around the world. So is the reason is the is what you're saying is because GDP is going to go down, the market has to reflect that at some point. Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah, it has to at some point. Right. <laughs> right. At some it has point. to at some point, and uh, or or it's going to continue to levitate, right? And <laughs> it's going to continue to violate all the laws of nature. But one of the laws of nature of the stock market is it's very emotional and it can violate the laws. It can, it can be ridiculously priced in both directions. The market overall seems to be thinking that this like businesses will come back say three to six months after we get a restart. And a lot of people think that we're going to get this restart coming up really. And like probably June is going to be, almost normal-ish. And then there's this fear that it'll come back in the fall, but the market doesn't seem to be thinking too much about that. But you're saying, no, we're not going to be back to normal in three to six months. Right. We're not going to be back to normal in three to six months. The impact on on millions and millions and millions of people is very severe. Um, and the impact on so many businesses is so severe that they may not even exist anymore. So. Um, in spite of the federal government wanting to get money in the hands of these businesses, you got to remember that when a business gets money that it has to pay back, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be successful. That's in fact, the definition of bankruptcy is a business that can't pay back its loans. So if, if you're looking at Southwest airlines, for example, right now and think it's going to be business as normal, first off, you have an enormous backlog of costs in that business that are stacking up and are being paid for by loans from the federal government. Second, you True. Got a or, or out of their cash, if they're a business that has cash around there, but they're being paid for somehow. Yeah. Yeah. But Southwest might not get back to its old revenue stream for years. And meanwhile, it's got this extra debt stacked up on top of it. I mean, some of those airlines may fail. So as, yeah. as you start to realize the impact on this thing is going to be a rolling impact, um, 
we're, I really strongly would urge you to be seriously considering preparing to buy great companies on sale. I wouldn't be in a hurry right now. All right. There's always this bump uh, on a market that's crashing. There's always a, this, they call it a dead, they even have a name for it. It happens so often. It's called a dead <laughs> cat bounce. <laughs> Very <What's> graphic. <laughs> I mean, you, like, right? like it's still dead, but it's, it it's bounced. Moving. Yeah. Well, no, it bounced when it hit. Oh, what? Yeah. It's terribly oh. graphic. Okay. But that doesn't indicate that the cat's okay. No. Right? Right? So, no. Right. So, so you end up investing in this dead cat, and that's a bad idea. So we don't want to jump the gun here. Um, just prepare yourself by studying how to do really good investing. I mean, that's, you know, read Warren Buffett's letters, read Guy Spears' book, uh, the, the Education of a Value Investor, read Manish Prabhai's book, Dondo Investing, read rule number one, read Invested, probably the best book ever written about how to do this. So Just true. Just saying. <laughs> and, um, and get yourself educated, you guys, because you have a little time here while this thing starts to sort itself out and the impact of... It's going to be very interesting to see if what you're saying is, is, well, how, it, is how it goes. I, I think there's been one humongous change in the way the world works. You know how many companies in the stock market are, are global companies, right? I mean, Coca-Cola mm -hmm. makes two-thirds of its money overseas. Well, the idea of globalism, which is this wonderful ideal that was promoted by Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon back in the early 70s by doing this rapprochement with China and trying to get everybody together, was that if you can make trading partners all around the world, you reduce the chance of war. People don't want to go to war with somebody that's their trading partner. And um, that ideal has been pushed forward for all of these years since then, with no regard in the United States for what that means for our workers, um, and particularly what that means for critical industries. And so what we just found out is that these ideals of globalism, this sort of altruistic, let's help our neighbor kind of thing, just comes unglued at the seams the moment you have a major crisis. Then it's every country for itself. And that's exactly what we saw in China. That's what we're seeing all around the world. I mean, you can't get masks that were made overseas back into the United States, even if it's the United States company that made them. They, the countries over there won't ship them. Singapore put a, a restriction on sending those masks out of Singapore to the United States, even though they were owned by an American company that wanted them back. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion between countries right now. Yeah, and so, so the supply chains that are that are worldwide are going to be cut for all these critical industries, and that means a lot higher prices at home as those, that manufacturing comes home, higher prices, lower incomes, lower earnings, lower stock market. That's what we're going to see, I think. So... Let's talk about a company that's American homegrown, but is massively worldwide, to your point, mm. and, um, and has sellers and ships and uh, customers, ships like as in shippers, uh, everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And that is Amazon. Right. The juggernaut that is my love 
Amazon. Ironically, I live in a country with no Amazon. It's like an island of Amazon-free life. (laughs) And it has been an adjustment, guys. It has been an adjustment. So I think your island's going to expand, actually. I think that um, as the United States companies uh, start pulling out of China, the Chinese are not going to be pleased by that. American companies are going to be ostracized. You're going to see Chinese lean on Alibaba, Tencent, and JD. They're going to ostracize Amazon. You're going to see that impact of the reversal of globalism, and it's going to hit Amazon. It's going to hit Amazon. Now, that doesn't make Amazon a bad company. That Still, Amazon is this magnificent company run by one of the best executives in the world. So the question is, when should you buy it? Is really my only question. Is it going to be a fabulous country, company, right through a depression, right through a recession? It's going to be coming out the other side, probably larger than it is today. But should you buy it? And should you buy it now? What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about it. So. Amazon just recently came out with their um, 2019 numbers and their annual report. And they have done incredibly well, as usual. So maybe we should start at the beginning for the 12 people in the world who don't know much about Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Amazon, Amazon is run by Jeff Bezos. He's one of shown himself to be one of best entrepreneurs, founders, and also able to be the CEO of a massive public company, which is a really unusual skill set. Most people who start companies don't end up running them once they're enormous because the skills that you need to get something going are very different from the skills you need to run a public company with public company reporting and all of that kind of stuff. But he has shown himself to be really, really good at it. And been a real leader. I love his shareholder letters obsessively. They're so, they're, they're like fun to read and interesting. And, um, this shareholder letter this year is all, and you could, you can see what he meant it to be. And then that they edited it and changed it later because they wrote it as the virus was coming out. So a bunch of it is about their response to COVID, um, which I think they've done such a good job with their, um, with their supply warehouses and their shipping methods. But most of the letter is about treating employees well and all the things that Amazon has done to do better at that. They've really taken the criticism and responded to it. So he gave a whole bunch of stats in the letter. Like they've, and we've heard some of these, like they've increased um, their minimum wage by $2 per hour. They've doubled the overtime um, wage. They've, added, they've created a hundred thousand jobs in the U S which are apparently all filled. I think already they've just done a lot of stuff. So he really wanted to highlight that in his letter, I think in response to the criticism that he's gotten in the past and, um, and yeah, they've just, they've done extremely well. They've got, Oh, my numbers are gone away, but the, you know, something like 25% growth basically. They have huge growth. They, they really do. It's a spectacular and a spectacularly well-run company. Um, and their stock has gone through this amazing ride. Uh, oh, crazy. Right, yeah. Going back into 2018, it kind of peaked at about 2000 and dropped down to 1400. And then it went back to 2000 last July. And then, and then, and the coronavirus, when that hit, it dropped down to 1600 
and then has climbed up to 2,400 now. So it's gone through this massive wild ride. And, um, and so, you know, I've, I've wanted to buy this company for a long, long time. And I've looked at its, you know, the valuations on it, the different ways that we look at valuations. So you want to hear about those? Uh, sure. Just go straight to valuation. Sure. I mean, I mean, you can, we can walk through all the critical things, right? I'm, I mean, are you capable of understanding the business? It's like kind of understanding your local market effectively. They're selling a lot of stuff and you don't have to understand every, every jar of peanut butter out there. You just got to understand how the whole business works. Yeah. I think the important part for me regarding understanding is understanding the really big buckets in which they work. So they've got the way they describe it is that they have three segments, North America, international and Amazon web services. I really don't find that very helpful. The way I think about it is they've got sellers and buyers. They're like typical, like book selling and then selling of everything else that they developed into. They've got all the sellers who sell their third party stuff on Amazon as a platform. Then they have kind of like their entertainment section, which is Amazon Prime publishing um, and some of the stuff that they create there. And then they have their Amazon web services. So that's how I think about it. And that just helps me understand it. Um, And then as far as figuring out like what's going to happen to it, I think Amazon web services and then all the stuff they sell are kind of different buckets in my yeah. mind. No, I think you're right. I, I think they intentionally by, by dividing themselves up geographically, they're obfuscating their numbers. So you don't know what's really going on, but yeah. unless you just look at the whole picture. Um, and of course we, we, if we look at the whole situation, what's the moat for this company? Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's an intriguing one, right? Cause it, on first thought it, it's like, does it really have one? I mean, they're huge. So that's one. But but I went through them and I was thinking about it. And I think they I think actually they have a really strong one, but it's not what I initially thought. All so right, I'm kind of curious. I think it's a switching moat. I think once you have an account with them, it's so easy to buy anything on there that I mean, I probably most of us have done this. I certainly have. I'll pay an extra buck or two on Amazon instead of so that I don't have to create an account on some other website that takes me 10 minutes to go through and put in my credit card number and all that stuff on Amazon. I can do it with one click. I massively and agree. I think that's a, it. that's a full switching mode. And then actually yep. I think it's the exact same mode for Amazon web services switching. Once you're part of it, it's a good service. It's easy yep. to stay on with and they have so much market share that it's just easy. So I think in both cases, it's a really strong switching mode. Oh, I, I agree. I, I, if you think the switching mode's rough, uh, to get off of Amazon to go to some other retailer, <laughs> AWS. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a big deal. So yeah, huge switching moats. And of course they have a brand mode, which is fed by that switching. So mode, that's, that's what I initially thought actually that it would be brand. But then I thought about it and I was like, do they really have that much of a brand? I don't know. Well, if you think I, of in terms of, well, you're starting to think in terms of a, of an entire category in the name of the company. That's mm-hmm. a brand moat, right? So we think about Xeroxing some some papers back in the day, right? It's, it, you know, copying. And, you know, you think about getting over to Amazon, just go to Amazon. 
It's, it's, it's a it's a title of something now. That's true. It's like, actually, hey, Google, it's like googling, Google yeah. yeah, or zooming. Right, or zooming. <laughs> we just zooming. our little bubble there was because Zoom shut down on me, and I don't know why. <laughs> Zoom so shut thanks down. a lot, Zurich. Zoom. Jeez, <laughs> they're on a little on overload. Yeah, but, no kidding. But that's and then of course we've already said the management team there is just amazing. So you've got a huge moat. Switching moat is one of the best moats you could ever have. And you've got a fabulous uh, management team. So if you're able to understand the business, this is something for you to think about buying. And then it's a question of, okay, what should I pay for this thing? Okay, now go for it. Okay, so the problem with figuring out the value of something is that um, we really shouldn't reference what its prices are any more than you should figure out the value of a chunk of gold by referencing the prices in a jewelry store on Miami Beach. (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't be the place to figure out what the gold is worth by looking at the prices and and how they cut the prices to give you this super discount. That doesn't help you at all know what the value is. So I just had this really funny picture in my head for some reason of you on Miami Beach <laughs> looking at gold chains and jewelry stores <laughs> with like with like I'm, a Hawaiian shirt on. I'm joining the geriatrics down there, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I get my knobby knees, my bow legs, black <laughs> socks, some sort of awful Jesus sandal. And <laughs> Going, oh, look at that shiny gold chain. <laughs> what do you want for it? <laughs> oh, my God. That's a terrible image, but it's all too possible. So, yeah, figuring out the value of Amazon is is uh, really... a a couple of things are really important. Number one, what 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 rate of return are we willing to get to own a great company? And and mm. my answer to that for a long long time has been I want fifteen percent yeah. to justify being in the business. Okay, yeah, it's a bit arbitrary. Um, you could argue that you know with interest rates at zero, it'd be reasonable to lower that, but it's an absolute return. I don't. It's not relative to interest rates per se. You know, it it just is a, a number I'm comfortable with. So. I'm going to base everything on getting a 15% return in terms of what its value is. And then I'm going to think in terms of, can I understand well what the growth rate would be of this company? Do I know enough about this to be able to figure the growth rate uh, well enough, right? Can I look back at, at the history of Amazon where I can see the growth rate over a long period of time over on our toolbox, you can see it real easy, but you can figure it out on lots of places. What, how fast the critical numbers are growing. And that would be how fast are sales growing earnings, cash, and, um, and I would like to know free cash flow as well. So you're looking at, at uh, a small handful of numbers that you kind of just want to get an idea on. So, you got sales, cash, earnings, and and really you should know the book value growth rate. So with Amazon, these are all gigantic. You know, they're 20, 20% to 70% per year compounded mm-hmm. from overall in the last 10 years. Those are all averaging right at a very beautiful 28%, 29% per year, which is just insanely high, right? <clears throat> so the question is, will they continue to grow that fast? And, you know, probably not. There's no companies that have ever grown that fast for long periods of time Um, with a handful of exceptions have done it for 20 years, like a Walmart and places like that. So Amazon's going to be the exception, but they've already been around a long time and they probably are 
getting to a point where, you know, you got to ask how huge can you get when you're growing at 26% per year, you're doubling your size of your company every three years. So in 10 years, Amazon would have to double three times. That that's just enormous, right? I mean, you just to yeah. think of the size of this company at this point. Yeah, would be no. The um, idea of Amazon doubling is kind of insane. Yeah, I mean, they're making like, two hundred and eighty billion dollars a year in revenue right now. Let's call it three hundred billion and double it three times. That's six hundred billion in three years. Then one point two trillion in three more years, and then two point four trillion dollars in three more years after that. Wait, that so, which number is that? Three. That, that's that's the sales. The sales. So this is sales. Okay, so let's say three hundred goes to six hundred to one point two trillion to two point four trillion. So ten years from now, theoretically at a twenty six percent growth rate, these guys would be doing two point six trillion. In other words, about ten percent of GDP for the entire country would be just US. Amazon. Yeah, just Amazon. So that's starting to think, wow, that's a lot. I'm not going to say that's not possible. <laughs> I mean, this well, business has turned into, it, it, it's created areas nobody ever in a million years thought that they would go into. I, I won't say it's impossible either. I just say that sometimes when you get that big, you start to run into limits to growth that include legislative limits to growth. Yes. I think that is the biggest risk. Yes. <clears throat> right. So when we try to figure out the value of the business, it's, you gotta, you gotta come up with a number <clears throat> that would reflect some reasonable level of pessimism as opposed to wild optimism. Um, but when we do what we're calling the margin of safety analysis, we do like to stay pretty much on the optimistic side of things. And if we, if we ask, okay, well, what are the analysts saying about the growth rate over the next, you know, five years or so, they're all looking at 23% average. And if you run the numbers based on that, the, the sticker price of the company, what it's worth, if you want a 15% return is about $2,200 per share right now. And it's selling for 2,400. So it's, <laughs> blazingly accurately priced for what the analysts think the value of the business is, which is amazing. <clears throat> and if you said, well, let's look at it like I want my money back in some reasonable period of time from free cash flow, which we call the payback time, in that case, you're looking at about $1,200 a share or about half of what it's selling for mm. right now. <clears throat> and less than it got down to when it dropped like a brick during the coronavirus drop. So if you were looking at payback time, you wouldn't have been able to buy it because you're looking at 1200 bucks. And if you wanted to do the 10 cap, which we love and we really highlighted in the book and in invested, then you would be running the owner earnings numbers and just, you know, doing a quick windage number on those a minute ago before we started this, I come out, with a, a value per share of about $440 at the 10 cap. So massively lower than it is right now. So we're, so know, let me just repeat those. So yeah. you are saying that your sticker price on the margin of safety analysis, the, the you, full sticker using 23% using 23% growth yeah. uh, is about 2,200. Yeah. The 10 cap analysis using owner earnings 
is $440. And yeah. the payback time on what? Like a 10-year payback time? Um, it was an eight-year payback time. Eight-year payback time, $1,200. So 10 $1, years, bucks. you know, a little higher. Yeah, um, yeah that's quite a range. <laughs> yeah. Well, the margin of safety is at a, at 1100 bucks. Let's, let's be clear about that. That was the sticker Correct. price at, at 2200 I so wanted to clarify We don't have that huge of a range. The, the 10 cap is substantially lower, um, but both the margin of safety and the payback time are right around the same number, around 11200 per share. And in fact, I was trying to figure out if I could buy this thing uh, I was hoping it would get down to 700. I was going to jump on it. So I was going to take a number that was an average of all that and, and jump in there at 700. $700. You think I mean, Amazon's going to drop to $700? Well, no, I don't have an I don't opinion think about it's... whether it will. I'm just saying if I want to buy it with a large margin of safety, given the, the, the fact that it can't grow at these rates forever and, um, and that, you know, the world could cut back on Amazon. There could be other kinds of competition. There could be legislative problems. You know, if I want to buy it with a margin of safety, as Charlie says, given the vicissitudes of life, then, you know, 700 bucks, a thousand bucks at the most, you know, 1100, maybe 1200 at the most. Mm-hmm. And I would be in a fairly comfortable place. Okay. Okay. But good luck buying it at that price. Unless yeah. this economy melts down and everybody just gets out of the stock market. And even then we might not see it there. So then the no. question becomes, should we buy it anyway? Should we just go buy it anyway <laughs> and accept a rate of return? I feel like we've had this conversation like 1700 times. Yeah, we have. <laughs> <laughs> so and every time, I, every time I look back and I go, well, if I had just thought about it back then. Where would I be? <laughs> I'd be rolling in it. Don't do that. Because you have not been an investor with a really serious market crash yet. No, I haven't. And when you get that t-shirt, you're going to think a lot differently about, oh, I should have bought in. I'm with I, you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, even that that dip in March, that it's been a real experience for me. Uh, this whole thing and it's in, in, in a very, very good way. Like I'm learning a ton and I'm taking notes on my reactions and how to deal with them better. And it's, it's really, really educational. So I'm trying to make it educational without losing money. That's the trick. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm thinking that a couple of things will really help you and we'll, let's go into them next time. But wait, 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 bit. wait, let's, let's answer the question first. So if you start to think like, oh, well maybe I should just buy Amazon, then what? then you just stopped being a rule one investor and started oh. being a gambler. Oh. You're going to gamble when you're buying in here at 2,400 a share, you're going to gamble that no bad things ever happen because it's priced to perfection. It's priced for a growth rate that is, I mean, arguably unsustainable. And in order to be valued at 2,400 a share at a 15% discount, it's going to have to be growing at 23% into the future past 10 years, or you're not going to get that as a, that big PE ratio. So I, I, I think that the critical three words of investing margin of safety are being thrown out the window here Mm -hmm. in an attempt to guess. And that's Mm -hmm. not something you can do. You can't guess with your retirement money. Well, or another way to put it, I think is 
we're not really guessing, right? Like we're using all of this information. And as you pointed out, it's at the sticker price, basically, if it were a little bit lower than it is today. Um, so if if it keeps growing at, what did you say? 23% was the number mm-hmm. you used. Right. And a lot of people think that that's possible. Right. If everything goes well in the world right. and it keeps growing at 23%, then you're going to be a fine. You're going you're gonna to make money. You'll make 15% a year. Yeah. So that's why people look at it. So right. the, the variable in there is the if. It's if things don't go well, then what happens? Well, then you don't have any margin of safety. So right. that's when you're going to lose money. And so that's, but money. that's you why, might... like, it's not the, it's not the people are idiots or just guessing, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a method to this and it makes sense, but it's and the, and people based on a lot of guessing. optimism. There are people who are not guessing actually, and are not necessarily that optimistic, but they're still buying it at 2,400. And, and that group of people, professional investors who are managing funds are content to make 15% a year, that'd be fantastic. I hope it does it. But if it doesn't do it, if it does half of that and I make eight, that'd be fantastic in a 0% interest rate environment. And in fact, if it does a quarter of that and I make four, that's better than I would do by buying a bond. So, hey, and if it does half of that at two, I still haven't lost money. So there's the thinking that's going on with institutional managers because it's not their money. They're not trying to get wealthy by being successful investors. They're trying to get wealthy by hanging on to your money and charging you a fee. So there's an entirely different game going on. If we want to get wealthy or stay wealthy from, I would say get wealthy, right? Staying wealthy is a whole different ball of wax. But to get wealthy, then you have to be iron disciplined and mostly do nothing and pick your opportunities very carefully and be extremely patient. And I'll go back to what we started this whole podcast with is the next two years are more likely than not going to be very bumpy and the stock market is not going to be going up. It's going to be going down. And when that happens, it could take even Amazon down with it. So that's what we're waiting for to step in not hoping for the market to be terrible. I'm, I'm just saying that I'm ready to step in with cash if and when that happens. And I mm-hmm. think there's a good chance that it will. And I think okay, we should cool. wrap it up on that and then talk well, about maybe how to invest in this market. How would you actually take a position in a company that's on sale? Let's talk about that next time. How to take a position in a company that's on sale. Yeah. Um, we're not going to talk about that next time because next time oh, we're going to talk about the Berkshire right. meeting. That's right. You know, there may not be much to talk about, in which case we will talk about how to take a position in this market. <laughs> but you guys, just a reminder, the Berkshire Hathaway meeting is this Saturday, May 2nd. It's entirely online. Unfortunately, they announced today it's not going to feature Charlie Munger, our favorite, because oh. he's not in Omaha. So it's going to be Buffett and Greg Abel and will be very different from the way it usually is and and maybe super interesting. So check it out. All the info is on BerkshireHathaway.com and there's a link to the Yahoo uh, finance site that's going to broadcast it out. Wow. Buffett just blinked when it came to who's this heir apparent by bringing Abel in. That's fascinating. Yeah. He's been very, very very sort of careful about not leaning toward Abel or Edget Jane. 
and which one's going to take over. And, you know, there's, there's a thought that maybe a Wexler or somebody, but now he's bringing Abel up there. Then that means he's the guy with hmm. the, the future. Maybe, or maybe he's the guy who's in Omaha because, <laughs> because a cheap chain think about lives that. in New York. Right. I think you might be right. <laughs> okay, take it all and back. And Ted and Todd, one of them lives in Omaha and the other one doesn't. So, oh, and no. he doesn't like to put them up so much. Um, and Munger lives in LA. So yeah, that's my guess. I could just see <laughs> Charlie going, no, I'm not going to zoom in. Oh, okay. there's right. There's no yeah, way. <laughs> not going to happen. All right, you guys. Well, so check that out. And then Berkshire the other thing time. we promised, the other thing we promised to say today is what that name is for Chinese companies that people wanted to buy, but that don't have ADRs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Because I cannot. V-I-E, and you said you would tell us what that stood for. Yeah, it's a, it, okay, wait a second, I, gotta, I forgot. I got to go look it up. <laughs> but but just trust me, V-I-E would be the, the key name for these things. And uh, it is. I got on. it, variable interest entity. Variable interest entity, which essentially, I'll boil it down for you, essentially has a theoretical right to the earnings of these companies. That's what it all boils down to. And I think they're all sitting in some island, Cayman Islands, I think. And that mm. ought to tell you something, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we just wanted to say what that was because we promised that we would. And then so last choice, announcement. If you have a choice between Alibaba, VIE, and Amazon, guess what you should do? <laughs> <laughs> if you're forced to buy one of those right, things. Right. <laughs> Um, last announcement is we're going to do a fun little pre Berkshire, exciting live thing on Instagram, on my Instagram, Danielle town. So, um, look out for info on that. And if you're on my email list, uh, then you'll get info this week. Do I have to sign up for Instagram in order to get on this and lesson? Do I have to sign up for Instagram? I'm going to show you what to do. Don't worry. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to Insta. I'm going to (laughs) Insta. All right, you guys. All right. Thanks, everybody. Time to go play. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.